You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of splatterpictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical lydia today's show we're going to be doing the 1983 cult classic christine oh my god oh i was wondering how you're gonna follow that up but with car noises seriously (laughs) seriously listen no one's ever accused me of being too creative very true uh i'm kidding mr creativity there thank you yeah we're in the dense Think of it now. Not only is it still fucking hot out, but this is our second film in our three-part Stephen King-a-palooza that we agreed to do just, again, kind of by accident because we wanted to do another one. You guys seemed to want us to do some more. And now we're doing Christine. It's like a summer music festival. Our lineup's different every year. Hell fucking yeah. The format of the show, gang, as you've probably gotten by now, is we tell you what movie we're doing, and we shoot the shit for a little bit, and we talk about how I saw it, and we talk about how Lydia saw it, but fuck all that, because I don't care. Look, I saw it on TV. That, that's all you need to know. Lydia, you seem to actually have like an, a legit... You said that this movie scared you, and I've, I want to hear about that, because I feel like you are a woman without fear. But I want to hear about how you watched it on TV, in the basement, and we had commercials, and you ate pizza. No, there was no commercials. It was on movie picks. Oh. I watched it uh, uncut and commercial-free. And it was definitely one of those sitting experiences where I said, I'm going to watch Christine because this is a well-known horror movie. It was it was a very deliberate thing. It was an event. It was, it was, it was checking another one off the list. I knew Christine was coming on, and so I parked my butt in my big chair and was going to watch it. And that's exactly what I did. And I'll tell you, my initial experience watching that film, much like the experience of watching the film again, is I am enamored with the uh, craftsmanship of this particular film. I find it beautiful to look at. Every scene with Christine. I'm not a car guy. I'm more of a car guy than you are. You are more of a car guy than I am. I, I, I'm I not as uh, enamored with, with that sort of thing. Not much of a gearhead. But it, it is undeniable that it's a beautiful car. And it's undeniable that simple effects, like reverse camera shots, do wonders to demonstrate regenerative capabilities of Christine in a way that nowadays it would just be CGI, but it's just, it stands as this gorgeous moment in cinema that I am just that, that whole regeneration scene that were, were, you know, Arnie's like, show me that to me is the fucking movie. (laughs) It is. is, It it hits too many things like good horror does. It hits creepy and sexy all at once which is a a wonderful thing to do in horror and a wonderful thing to be doing with an inanimate object Mm -hmm. that is via v succubus yeah like it's it's really hard to reconcile those feelings in your head which is what good horror does it confuses the shit out of you makes you feel a little uncomfortable and at the same time we're sort of marveling now so many years in the future 
of what a good shot that is. Just what a good shot that is. And it does the things that good car, like I'm, I, I say I'm a bigger car guy than you and I, I probably am, but I'm not a car fan. I'm not like a gearhead either, but I don't mind some car photography. I like a good Dutch tilt and a little mm. bit of forced perspective and a lot of flash use. And I've seen some really epic car photography more because of my love of photography and my use of light, natural light and using flash in a way that looks hypernatural, which is what they rely on in car shows. If you've ever watched any of those car shows on TV or gone to a car show, they really rely on that the same way they rely on lighting in a diamond store. Yeah, I was actually going to pull that example because uh, one time when I went uh, fishing for an engagement ring, and that's a whole backstory that you guys aren't going to fucking get, but I did go shopping for one once in my life, and I was very much enamored with the lighting. I was like, oh my God, everything looks fucking gorgeous in here. sparkles. Everything sparkles. Yeah, and so does Christine. She does. What a beautiful vehicle. What a beautiful, beautiful vehicle. And at the time, uh, I was about 13 when I watched this. And I was not, I wouldn't say surrounded by car culture. My dad was, uh, he's a handy man. He's a bit of a mechanic. He could fix cars and stuff. And there were some people that caught cars around. And being uh, Calendar, Ontario was where I grew up, a very uh, Castle Rock little, little town mm-hmm. as it is. Uh, there were a few people that fit into all these paradigms that you see yeah. often in Stephen King films. And there was a lot of shiners, people with motorcycles and cars that would parade around with that. There's a lot of, um, every Sunday there was a, a classic car rally mm-hmm. at this one park in the summer. So I, I saw a lot of these Christine type things. And I was getting heavily into horror at the time when I was young like this. And I went late at night to a friend's house to watch we watched two movies and i can't remember what the first one was and it might have been something like puppet master or basket case i have no idea what it was and christine and i ended up watching christine up until about one in the morning which is late for a kid granted but i was a wild one yeah yeah i was out of control so (laughs) listen if at one o'clock in the morning 13 year old lydia was sitting at a friend's house watching a movie. That's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty I know, good, right? I think. I think parents would be okay with that one. Yeah, I wasn't on acid downtown trying to get into a bar. Yeah. Or anything like that. So, yeah. Uh, we watched Christine, and I was really taken with the same things I'm taken with today, the same things we just talked about, and just really into the soundtrack. And that late at night, being that young and that sort of driving synth soundtrack and really effective stuff. The only other thing that really spooked me like that was Halloween, I guess. Um, I guess Jaws, but I wasn't a Jaws fan. But I think it does what what Jaws did to people, to me, with the part where Moochie is getting chased down by the car. And if you can just like if you haven't seen the film, I mean, you could you could go watch the film unless you one of those people want to hear us talk about it. Decide after. If you're gonna Some watch people it. get excited when we yeah. talk about a film and then they say, well, now I want to watch it. I listen to podcasts, about films I didn't watch, especially when I'm not on the fence. If I'm pretty sure I'm not going to watch it, I'll listen to the show. And then sometimes after I'm like, ah, I'm going to go watch that. But um, there's a scene with someone get chased down by Christine happens a couple times, actually. But the one in particular is the first big chase down and kill somebody scene. And it freaked me out. And it didn't just freak me out because of a car chasing someone. But 
it freaked me out because it's like there's nowhere to run. It doesn't matter how well you know your little town or how many little places you can wiggle into because you have the advantage of being on foot and this is a big car. The car could conceivably in Stephen King land find you and get into those places where you think you're safe Mm -hmm. and scared the shit out of me. So I had to walk home across our little Castle Rockian universe to from my friend's house to my house. And I got about halfway. And there's a guy that lives in this little town that happened to drive a 50-something red Plymouth mm-hmm. that was all full of chrome, looked exactly like fucking Christine, and he would cruise around. He just cruised around. And if he didn't fucking just slowly, and not just like drive down the road like a normal person, slowly chug a lug his way down the road with the engine just purring away. And just, he wasn't looking at me or anything. He was just, I don't know. If it was nowadays, I'd say he was on a cell phone. But this is way back in the day, right? So he was, I don't know, jerking it. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. (laughs) What are people doing in the cars when they driving around at one in the fucking morning i don't know jerking it it seems like a logical explanation yeah. so he was just chuggling down the road and he just passed me as if i were if you could envision like in my mind like me hiding and cowering in an alley and the car that's hunting me oh my god just da-na, da-na, you know oh my god i was so fucking scared so i scurried over to a payphone because i had those in those days called my dad And said, I'm scared. Come pick me up. And he said, just walk home. And I said, no, I'm scared. And I guess I made a pretty good case because my dad came and picked me up. And I basically just cowered by the payphone until my dad picked me up. Payphones are safe. There's safety in payphones. There's a light here. (laughs) Oh, my God. Embarrassing. That is fucking hilarious. It was that confluence (laughs) of late, scared, really effective movie. Mm -hmm. Really fucking effective movie. Funny, uh, John Carpenter very famously didn't really have an interest in doing this scene or doing this film because he thought the script wasn't scary enough. Little did he know, little did he know all of the conflation of circumstance that would happen, that this has become a a single point for you of fear because all these things happened at once. So if you ever see John Carpenter, you should tell him about, Hey, you know, I know you don't think this movie's that scary. But let me tell you a story. Yeah, about the, the kid that wasn't scared of hell much, really. You know? That's how that's how yeah. I picture you. I picture you as a woman who's not afraid of much. I, I think, especially at this point, at this point in your life, well, even when I met you, you know, years ago, years ago now, oh, um, we're so old. We're so Let's old. Let's wax nostalgic. Let's wax nostalgic. No, um, I would always I would describe you as a person who has seen every on-screen atrocity, real and fake. And you cannot be uh, frightened by anything. And I remember, gang, even when I told her my harrowing tale of just being afraid of the woods after I saw the Blair Witch Project when I was walking home, she just, you didn't mock me, but you definitely said something along the lines of, oh, that's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you this. My picture of North Bay, uh, I have a pretty good idea what that place is like. But did they have properties that were essentially makeshift junkyards just like old rusted car parts everywhere and not too far down the road um there was 417 auto records and sunshine auto records so yeah they had places just like this that so a a, a place in which a demonic car could have been found in fact at the end of my parents road there was a a yard like that Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it was smaller. It was a, a smaller little garage that had like derelict cars around it and people working on their cars in their yard and stuff like that. So it wasn't as big and vast and like chain link mm-hmm. fences and stuff, but it was there. Yeah. And I would have had to walk past it. Yeah. We had, we had property like that around my cottage where we still do where it looks as though I can guarantee you that there is definitely rusted car parts that I have walked and driven past since I was a baby mm-hmm. because it's now they're just all dilapidated and grass overgrown. And that's just where they sit. That's just where that car part sits now until somebody comes and takes Freddy Krueger's glove out of the trunk. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a, that's a deep cut. That's what happens in car yards. <laughs> and Christine too. Dogs pee on the ground and resurrect Freddy and also Christine. But it doesn't have to be a rusted car park or anything like that. Because Christine was bad to the bone when she was a baby. She was. Day one. Day one. Day one. Unlike the book where she's cursed with uh, someone's spirit, right? Yeah, the, the, totally pre- the, the previous owner in the, in, the, in the novel, which I didn't realize came out the same year that the that the, the film did apparently Stephen King was shopping around the manuscripts or showing people the manuscripts and uh, and then it got picked up but in the book it's the spirit of the person of the previous owner that's what's happened but no you're right in the movie it's just an evil fucking car and i love that it's just an evil fucking car i doubly love that it's just an evil fucking car because you can think of it more of it as a demon instead mm-hmm. of something that's possessed which i mean <laughs> People don't have spirits and possess things, but demons. Demons. Totally. Demons totally. And 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 the question of why, which is never answered and is and never needs to be answered, in my opinion, makes this really Well the one question of why, the only answer to that is because she loves him. You do end up hurting the ones you love. And everyone around them? Yeah. 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 I guess so. Well, when someone loves you passionately and fully and you give them that back. You can do anything, Lydia. Any fucking thing. Are we talking about his girlfriend? <laughs> no. <laughs> talking about Christine. Uh, I, I I do still hate that he ta- he talks about it as Christine. He refers to the car as Christine. I just got to stop and get my wallet out of Christine. It's the car. Just call it the car. Don't name your things. Like, what? What? who does that? I find that very weird. But that's, that's like... Full Metal Alchemist logic, right? It's like, you will give your gun a girl's name. That type of shit. Full Metal Alchemist? Full Metal Alchemist? Full Metal Jacket? Yeah. Sorry. Weeaboo West just fucking poked his head out for a second. Okay. I still haven't watched the live action. I'm pretty excited about it. It is crazy to me. And we talked about this in the first Stephen King Appalooza last year. About how I really uh, wasn't that impressed with Stephen King found him a very repetitive writer and w- was not impressed by the legacy but I gotta tell you man that attitude has changed 150 180 degrees but it's not so much that I think that every Stephen King story is the greatest story ever but it is insane to me how one person could just Put a dent on planet Earth. One author like that, just in terms of books and popular culture, film, and launching 
a billion ships because everyone else, everyone just seems influenced. Horror directors, horror writers, actors, everyone's just influenced by this guy. Who's still around? It's not like he's we're still around, like, and he's so humble. Yeah, it's like we're we're not talking about some guy that died like two hundred years ago, right? We're literally talking about a dude right now who's probably, as we speak, sitting at a typewriter, just like pretty much, <laughs> like throwing on some ACDC or a little George Thorogood. Yeah, the time. Yeah, and then he just tweets about things. Yeah, like and and. Like, everything from just, like, casual endorsement of things. Hey, I liked Evil Dead. And all of a sudden, the movie gets picked up for distribution. And, and that's what I'm talking about. Well, it's- there's a lot of authors, smaller authors, too, and indie published authors and small press publishers that he will just randomly be like, hey, I just read this book. Like, anyone has the fucking right to do. And poof, they're a superstar. Yeah, that's crazy to me. So I'm seriously, like I said, you know, teenage me... Stephen King, fucking overrated, blah, blah, blah. He writes a lot. He does you know, whatever my fucking opinion was, which wasn't even really my opinion. It was something that I had heard because I hadn't even read enough of his fucking shit to have my own opinion. Whatever. I was, I was a piece of shit when I was younger. Now it's totally just like, even even if I, I still don't love everything, I was just like, you cannot deny. You cannot deny that legacy. And now it's being really thrust into your lap because we're doing this for the show. So you get to revisit a bunch of stuff. And it's not like you you go through your life from zero to now just kind of cherry picking some Stephen King as you go here and there. So it doesn't really like you're not like presented with the wealth of his work until you're kind of forced. I I always imagine the guy who lives here in Ottawa from what I understand that does the Stephen King cast or the King cast where he had read in sequence all the Stephen King books and talked about them on the show how it just must be for him you know we get a little bit of a taste of that of how you can really really see the influence and you can really see the progression of his skill and you can like all of that is really brought to the forefront and I was um, talking to Chris not long ago about how I want the Stephen King flow chart and it unfortunately came to the inevitability that I don't want the flowchart until he's done. And I hesitate to say dead. He'll never be done until he's dead, though. So sorry, Mr. King. I don't wish him dead. I just want a complete flowchart. Yeah, but it's going to be like when when lots of authors die that are as prolific as him, if you don't think that they're going to... Like, I can guarantee you at least five years where we're still getting published manuscripts that's what chris pointed out too like you don't think he does has trunk stories and he very well could he could have a whole series like and patterson's the same way he's probably got four or five books sitting there just sitting there yeah someone will scoop up unless they leave an executor of their estate or like an an executor for their writing estate Mm -hmm. particularly which is something brian keen has talked about a lot on his podcast the brian keen show the horror show brian keen um because he had not what I would say a near-death experience, but it probably felt like it at the time when he got burnt uh, clearing brush. And he's talked about it on the show before that, too. And a lot of like prolific horror writers passing away just because they're reaching an age. And it becomes something very, very important. What to do with your estate after as far as the writing goes. They may leave clauses in there. They want nothing released posthumously. Yeah. I know. I fucking would. <laughs> 
I wouldn't want anyone touching my stuff. Like, it could be embarrassing. Yeah. Because they did that with, like, Michael Crichton, or uh, he, he the, the, they kept releasing books. He had, like, all these, like, weird pirate stories and whatever the fuck that were still getting released. Because, you know, he'd been dead for, like, fucking five years. Well, V.C. Andrews, a lot of people didn't realize V.C. Andrews had ceased to exist, like, mm-hmm. what, six books in or something. Yeah. And it's like when, uh, like, actors die, and then over the course of, like, two, three years, they're just like, oh, yeah, here's, here's a movie. It was in the can, and we just... We're releasing it now. Now it's time to release it and and shit. Or musicians. Like apparently like Prince has like vaults of fucking fully produced albums and music videos that were never released. Who knows what's ever going to happen to them? It's not like they've ever been released, but like they're made and they're sitting there. Yeah. But he he was just like, no, no, no. That's for the, (laughs) that's just for, because he was like a weird prodigy and he just kept making music. He couldn't stop. Uh yeah, so Stephen King, like, yeah, like, the trunk stories that like you're talking about, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, there's, we're just going to be like, and now here's this. Um, but it would be weird. But he he apparently writes so tightly that I couldn't imagine things would need to get edited, really. Like, no, and that's one saving grace with him, is that if somebody announced after his passing that there was 10 trunk stories, everyone would just be like, okay, print them up. Yeah. Ready to go. He's worked with um, particular editors here and there that know his style and they would know what he wants. His son, his son's plural, and his wife would have a lot of say in that and they would know what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. He's though, no hermit, I... that's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, like I didn't didn't mean to like, you know, I guess that's what we're talking about. I was like, I didn't mean to like, get derailed and talk about like fucking Stephen King for 10 minutes. Just be like, oh my God. Like, Anyway, <laughs> talk about getting derailed. Yeah, I know. What's this movie about anyways? It is about that new car smell, Wes. <laughs> Nothing better than a new car smell. Nothing better than a new car smell. Except maybe pussy. I'm glad you finished that line off. That's fucking gross to me. It is fucking gross. And there's a few scenes in this that just give me the heebie-jeebies. And like... Not only them, and just the way that Arnie's mouth moves when he repeats a similar line later on in the movie. Because that's a line that we're given, nothing better than a new car smell, except maybe pussy, from this old gentleman who has this car in his yard. Yep. Before Arnie drives past it and becomes instantly transfixed Mm -hmm. with this car, named Christine, Mm -hmm. we have got to meet Arnie in like in his context, in his native format, which is Urkel 2.0. Holy shit. You're not even fucking. You are the one that pointed out Urkel and it was all, all of 10 minutes. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, I hate this guy all over again. Before we started, I had noticed and I had noticed this when uh, I was going over the film before we, we before I brought it over uh, because I wanted to be on point today. Uh uh, and so I, I was trying to be a good research boy. And I couldn't help but notice uh, what probably maybe many people have noticed, but my observation of just coming off of Carrie uh, and coming on to Christine, you have very similar types of stories in so much as you have as the focal point, an ostracized individual in high school, someone who's bullied. Carrie obviously being uh, an inherently feminine story and and a lot of subtlety and a lot of layers and Carrie is a very beaten down quiet woman who is oppressed at home and and ridiculed and mocked at school and so she has w- become very withdrawn 
Arnie, on the other hand, and Christine as a whole is a hyper masculine movie, just traditionally masculine. So, you know, obviously, like people have interest uh, across the board, but in this case, it seems so hyper masculine. Arnie himself is not a withdrawn, quiet individual. If anything, he is a person who is cranked up to 11. And I don't know if it is because this is what a stereotypical nerd like male character might be who's bullied and mocked not because he's particularly beaten down and uh, downtrodden it is that he just does not fit in this world he and he's trying so hard to be normal but he can't help but be a fucking spaz and people pick up on that but yet he's he's got his he does uh, differentiate from Carrie and the fact that she he does have one friend fucking Dennis Johnny Unitas himself fucking football player good looking guy women like him men like him doesn't seem to notice that Arnie's a spaz yeah and he seems to just be a good guy and he's probably known Arnie since they were kids and when they puberty hit Dennis went one way Arnie went another and but he didn't stop being his friend because of that um and 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 I think this weird sense of hypermasculinity, car culture, football, dorky Steve Urkel dudes. It all seems so blatant and overt, whereas Carrie seems very subtle to me. Subtle and emotional. And those are the two words you use when you posited this before we watched the show. Uh, your, your takeaway in a nutshell was just how emotional and quiet Carrie was and insidious in that manner. And where this film is so physical mm-hmm. and definitely the polar opposite, although about very, very similar things. Yeah, yeah. Because even when Arnie is is at his most spastic nerd, what is it? It's ripped garbage cans. It's awkwardly splashing in water. It's slipping on yogurt. A pratfall. A pratfall, exactly. The best kind in horror when it makes you not laugh. Yeah, and, and it's not... Uh, and and when the bullies bully, knives are pulled out and fists are thrown. Not tampons. Not tampons. Um, and 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 again, uh, everything is so physical. It's all bombast. But and and at its center, it, it it it's also about the pursuit of women because Dennis thinks that Arnie should get laid. It's his senior year. You should. So that's like fucking. Revenge of the Nerds are like fucking meatballs or some shit like that. Like that's like the 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 setup logic of that. Let's just try to get you laid. And meanwhile, Dennis himself is a bit of a player. And there's this new hot girl that's smart, and all the guys are after her. And she looks smart, but she's built like a porn star. Slut, he said. The body oh, yeah, of a sorry. slut. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's fucking crazy. Who talks like that? But again, um, maybe it's because we, I just ran in different circles partially i don't know i i think it is also very cartoonish and i think when just a moment ago i thought this is probably exactly why i doubly dislike their behavior uh most of the boys in this film is that it's really taking a page from comedy so it's very meatballs very porkies yeah yeah the sort of stuff that i just just grates on me and so unrealistic too but that that they're circling this poor girl, Lee, the new girl at school, like fucking sex star baboons. Yeah. yeah. Even our pal Dennis. Not really. Like, he's being subtle about it, but he's still eyeing her up. And 
Yeah, and and he also has this attitude. Uh, it, it was interesting, you know, when you talk when we were talking about Carrie the other episode, and you had talked about um, Tommy, and you had talked about uh, he's just playing off social cues, and and he's just kind of on automatic pilot with a lot of the things that he's doing. Dennis is a very similar character in which he is a good-looking guy. He's naturally charming. People are naturally drawn to him. He's a leader. And even though he's a sweet boy because he's good to Arnie and, and he keeps his promises and, and he's looking out for his friend, at the end of the day, he still has a bit of expectations on what he's entitled to because he, he is subtle with Lee, but he also expects that he's just going to get her because that's what happens. Well, it's sort of like his coup de mer when he fucking gets bowled over yeah. game because he's so distracted by like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. What is Poindexter doing with my girl? Yeah. That's sort of the, the base feeling that's going yeah. on in it's there. Like, I was rejected. I was rejected. But Arnie, Arnie, who I always talk up, who thinks he's ugly, but I say, hey, man, you're not ugly. You're a good looking guy. But in the back of his mind... He does know he's that feeding into that. Yeah, he does know that Arnie's a loser, and so he's like, "Yeah, I want Arnie to have a girlfriend and get laid and 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 be popular, but not at the expense of things that I want." No, exactly. Yeah, so it's a very uh, I can definitely understand how you're like squicked out by a lot of the male behavior in the, in this film, uh, but at the at the heart of it, the heart of Christine is a woman. She's just very. Metallic. Very metallic. And, you know, she doesn't really talk back so much, except through her radio. Mm. But she sings sweet love songs, whispering sweet nothings in your speakers. Yeah. It's interesting when they're initially driving past and they come across this old this old timer, the, this creepy old guy from Home Alone. Yeah, which is neat. That's a, <laughs> that's, that's a deep cut. That is a, that is that is a deep cut. He he's a cool looking guy and very at home in the Stephen King universe. As much as bullied teens are and jocks versus a dweeb sort of thing, very very at home when you have the old timer, the mystical old timer mm-hmm. that has all the answers mm-hmm. or that warns you away or is the deliverer of this curse. And mm-hmm. he's wearing. The most strangest contraption. It looks almost as if he took a straight jacket and made suspenders out of it, or overalls out of it. I'd say this is a straight up medical girdle. He's wearing maybe. a girdle for what reason? Who know. knows? I don't know. Maybe in the in the seventies, dudes walked around girdles all the time. There's some wonderful character actors in this film. the uh, The actor that plays George LeBay, the old man, Roberts Blossom. Uh, it does, uh, like you said, it, it is pitch perfect Stephen King characterization. He is a character who delivers all of his lines with such earnestness and believability. Uh, everything, you know, Stone Cold Dead and, and Cells of Christine. And, and it's such an, it's such a wonderful interaction. I love when Dennis goes back to him later. Um, and, and he's sort of telling the story, but it really definitely seems like this guy just wants to get rid of the car. Now, the interesting thing, also about Arnie's reaction to Christine. We don't see what he sees initially. It's only after Dennis backs up the car. And I almost thought when you watch this film, it would appear as though Arnie maybe go, they go, they drive past this way every day and Arnie longingly looks at the vehicle, but apparently he's never made any mention of it. And the previous owner has only been dead for a few weeks so, but his first reaction is back up, back up. I want to just take a look at her. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's 
You know, it's it's a it's fate, man. It is fate, but I bet you that old hunk of junk won't even start. Probably not. Uh, looking at it because she's overgrown, her grill's falling off. She's got a crack in her windshield. It looks like her rad is given out. Yeah. Um, everything's buckled. But, More oh, rust than metal, really. Where's the keys? Fucking purrs like a kitten. Yeah. It's crazy that no one would think it was odd that a car that is looks like looks like it's been sitting there since 1957. Now, when you say purrs like a kitten, I have to point out that shortly after we find out what a hairball she needs to cough up, because, yes, the car turns over, and it, yes, purrs like a kitten when it's standing still. Holy shit. His parents won't let him keep this car. He has to bring it to Darnell's. The, mm. um, it's sort of like a do-it-yourself garage, a big, vast, awesome garage, and it's a grease monkey's dream. Yeah. But holy shit, bringing it in there, it is a smoke show. And not in the, the, the good way that the Fast and Furious kind of losers dig. It's <laughs> the kind of crazy, sad, very sad. Especially, you know, as a former car owner and as someone who's worked on her own car here and there and being around people working on cars, the sounds that car are making are heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Listen, this car's got 93,000 plus miles on it mm-hmm. it's it's been around the block and even though that this vehicle was apparently beloved by the previous owner looks like it hasn't been kept up at all which is crazy in that he's only been dead six weeks yeah so i don't think the car would have been that neglected in all that time unless you know how you get maybe not you but some people when you Get, when you break up with somebody hmm. or something that very few people know, but us widows know, uh, what you go through when a, when a spouse dies or hmm. an ex dies, because uh, I still count them as widows. You, you go through the same thing, even if it's hmm. someone you'd been away from for a year or more, yeah. when it's somebody that you had had an intimate relationship with for a very long time. A very long time away. in your case and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's just as devastating, sometimes even more so. Um you get into a funk, you know. Some people go into a funk like that after dating someone for a week. And then they're fucking watching porn and eating Ben and Jerry's. That's me, guys. For like three weeks. And they stink and they don't go to work and they have headaches all the time. They don't leave their house. And the, everything, there's just takeout bins piled up around them. That's what Christine's going through, I think. So you, th- <laughs> you think that this is Christine in sweatpants? This is Christine in sweatpants. Her hair in a messy bun, <laughs> mascara down her face from four days ago. Yeah, yeah. She 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 thought that she was going to leave the house, put her makeup on, and, and feel all sexy. But then when she looked at herself, she was reminded the last time that she was this dolled up, was on a date with her man, and she just couldn't fucking anymore. And so she just cried until the mascara ran so furiously, fast and furiously down her face that she just couldn't leave the house. But why bother cleaning it off? This is Netflix and cry. This is Netflix and cry. This is crying alone on the bathroom floor, which was always my, which was always what I always told people that I was doing. They're like, oh, how, oh, I'm sorry. So-and-so broke up with you, Wes. What are you going to do? I'm like, oh, you know, just uh, carry on, you know, go to work. You know, I'll meet someone else eventually. Cry alone on the bathroom floor. I throw that in at the end. Cherry Garcia. <laughs> Cure. So what ails you? Uh, but yeah, this is Christina's sweatpants. That's what I honestly think. So, 
And you might be right about that when we learn what we learn about Christine later. And also this is almost as if Christine in sweatpants needs you to prove your love to her. Will you fix me? Can you fix me? Isn't that what all like damaged individuals want in a mate? Yeah, it really seems to be. Uh, I I really think that a lot of people, especially uh, the pure horror show of dating in my 30s. Well, I think like and and throw a fucking gender studies textbook at me if I'm wrong. She is the personification of a psycho bitch. (laughs) She might be. I I think that uh, if you look up psycho bitch in the dictionary, there might be a picture of Christine, at least part of her. Yeah. Um, So. Arnie is determined. His parents will not let him keep the car. And Dennis even tries to dissuade him. Now, Arnie's parents aren't really as enamored with Dennis. I I feel like they definitely have this attitude of he's like this no good Nick, hell bent for leather type fella. He's got a blue car. He's got a car. I think he listens to music loud. Yeah, listens to music loud, peels out of their driveway. It seems to be a bad influence for their sweet, gentle Arnie, who, you know, spends most of his weekends and weekdays just playing Scrabble with the folks. Oh, no, he's got a wild streak. He was going to put down fellatio for a three-word score or a triple-word score or whatever the hell. And it was in the dictionary lids. Yes, it's not a curse word. Yeah, exactly. But it, his mom kind of rules the roost there. She definitely does. And, uh, and uh, well, that's, that is where they're going to lay down the law. No cars in the driveway and shit. And this is the first act of defiance. Now, Arnie's character at this point from meeting the car he has instantly become enamored, as you said. He is still has this budding personality that has yet to truly emerge, whether it's something that was in him all the time or it was, it's this dark energy that Christine billows out of her once you become the object of her desire. But in a mere three weeks at this junkyard, he's managed to really do a number on Christine, really revitalize the car. Yeah, he's replaced a lot of the dented things. He's replaced a door. He's unbent a lot of the chrome or replaced a lot of the chrome. Uh, the owner, Darnell, makes fun of him. And the, at first, Darnell kind of bullies him, too. Yeah. He does get a soft spot for him as Arnie's confidence increase, confidence increases. And mm-hmm. as his Fonziness, he's going the Fonzimeter. The Fonzometer. He's about... 50% on the Fonzometer, where he yeah. was at, like, negative two when he started out because he wasn't Urkel, like, 100%. Uh, um, the first layer of Urkel peels off and he bumps up the Fonzometer when he doesn't even fucking really have Christine yet. He just got Christine, mm-hmm. and he tells his parents to fuck off. Basically. And this is this is a guy who we've seen, you know, getting his sack lunch from his mom and then bullies ruin his lunch, and he... Tries to stick up for himself, but he's terrified. He and can hardly speak up for himself ever. He barely mumbles. He's the only person he's ever open around is Dennis, and even then, he's still sort of like, "Oh, shocks, Dennis. It's so nice to have you as a friend." Yeah, because he really views himself as a charity case, yeah. and and he and he wonders why Dennis is his friend. Darnell pushes him around even, but that confidence is building and building. So, like three weeks later, when he's got Christine built up as oh, well, yeah. like. This is too viable car. Even Darnell's like, wow, he really has good hands as a kid. Yeah, yeah, good hands. 
and there's a, there's a change going on in Arnie, much like any sort of change in a teen comedy in which the the main character is not as attractive as one would hope. You just take those glasses right off. Yeah, just take the glasses off, Wes. That's all you got to do, Wes. <laughs> oh, I Look feel, at that. I feel wow, so he's beautiful. A handsome. I, he's not a Bonnie Rubble in the least. Oh, my God. I trimmed my beard for you. I know, Aww. I know, I know. I try not to show up here looking disheveled. Um, you never, ever look disheveled, Wes. <laughs> Anyhow. Thank you. But. The glasses, no. yeah. And not only, he just doesn't fucking need them, which yeah. is crazy to me because he's doing fine work on a car. If there's any time that a guy that needs glasses needs his glasses is when he's doing this sort of fine work. There's also something that's very uh, noticeable about Arnie's change. He he has really and a Fonzie the Fonzie is the fun the fun one but he is kind of getting a, a a James Dean edge to him that hair is not quite a pompadour but it's becoming slicked back well, and it's all that grease and sweat it's all the grease and he's just wearing his tight jeans and his white t shirt seems practical because he's working on this car day and night but he's really starting to look like. A guy. Well, he's lost the glasses, no pocket protector, whatever, suspenders, the color shift. And I pointed this out. I don't remember if it was on the show or in another horror conversation because I tend to have lots of horror conversations. So it was either with Howard, Amy, yourself, or Chris. And talking about the color shift in this. And I even noticed more uses of it on the the assembly line when we're watching christine get built everyone is beige everyone's wearing beige surrounding them are cardboard boxes which are beige the floor is beige all the other cars on the assembly line are beige but christine is this cherry red this fire engine red and chrome and beautiful and gleaming and colorful where arnie this this change in color which is what i noticed before and then really stuck in my mind as a fantastic filmmaking and fantastic way to describe the the transit from good to evil or from weak to powerful is how he dressed in like beiges and powder blue or like pink and white and like little nerdy colors. There's never a more nerdy color than polyester Robin's egg blue. Mm-hmm. And that is what he wore. And then we're slowly getting into darker jeans to the point that he has like a black shirt or a mm-hmm. gray sweater, I think is the yeah. next costume. He change just fucking party. becomes like Johnny Cash. Very soon, eventually, yes. And it's like beyond Fonz because he even loses a white shirt. But right now he's sort of like teetering. He's at about 50% on the Fonzometer. <laughs> but that Fonzometer is ticking up with each passing week. And each swear word he says. Oh, my God. He, he seems to be normal. He seems to just have a little bit of more confidence. He also seems to be very driven, driven towards rebuilding this car it is it is a mild obsession it seems to be a point of contention with his parents but he doesn't seem to listen um he sort of gets a job out of this too because darnell offers him a job so now if he would have just stayed right at this level mm -hmm. it's like everything is fixed i can understand this temptation of this evil car at this point if this is all she did Mm -hmm. she just made him cool she made him kind of hot made him kind of hot made it and and i suppose that's what it is it's confidence. It's 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 the idea of having a place, having a purpose, and and as as opposed to wanting to be like other people and trying to fit in. I suppose the reason why Arnie was so out of step because what he really wanted to be in 1978 was a 1950s. 
fucking greaser. greaser. That's what he wanted. <laughs> like, and 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 so you can imagine. Oh, if if Arnie was just born twenty years prior, well, then he would have probably fit right in. But now he's just like a dorky dude that doesn't really know what to do with himself, and he can't seem to interact with anybody on any conceivable level, except for Dennis. Now. Things are going to take a turn and you can almost excuse this as uh, an accident. This seems to be mostly Dennis's fault. He's the one that can't believe his eyes because Arnie, just old dorky Arnie, he's fucking hooked up with Lee. Yeah, the hottest girl in the whole world. The girl that everyone is fawning over in the library. The girl that everybody notices because she's... Built like a slut, whatever the fuck that's supposed to be. What a horrible, horrible thing to say about anyone. Yeah. The fuck does that even mean? <laughs> but it seems to be it, she is she is the perfect combination of brains and beauty. That yeah. seems to be what the, the they're sort of grunting out. It is what they're grunting out, and it's sad because they even make cracks later on about helping her with her math and stuff, and so they still just belittle her and belittle her and belittle her. Um, this isn't the shining example in this film, anyway, of Stephen King writing a woman, where so often he is touted for being able to write women so well, and he does. He is able to speak in a woman's voice through his characters so well and understand the emotions of women and, and mothers and young teen girls, things that are nearly indecipherable even to me, yeah. who is the owner of dirty pillows. So <laughs> he does that very fucking well, but it's really, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone pat him on the back for being able to write men so well. And he fucking does because we can really feel this, you know, the guy who had gone from skinny and and the victim of a Charles Atlas ad to the Fonz. And we can see this progression of his friend, like, losing. He can never play football again. A lot of these, like, male emotions that he is describing in this, we really get. So he just writes all of them exemplary in this mm-hmm. film. Unfortunately, Lee's character is not the best example. It's, it's, she's not the best example. I think Stephen King coming off as a very uh, empathetic writer who can really put himself in the places of a lot of his characters. I think just in this instance, it was a story that was just testosterone field it was it was all male perspectives and it's all through the male gaze and he probably was pulling from meatheads that he knew that because because i even though listen even though i don't prescribe to a lot of these behaviors and phrases i know that there are men that do talk that way unfortunately maybe meatheads in comedy at the time yeah meatheads in comedy and shit like that sometimes in your writing you've got to use a character as a tool to for the plot and it's not about them because not everyone can be a hero and really, it, it, it's the paradigm shift between Arnie and Dennis, which is the core of this story. Right when Dennis notices that, oh, Arnie, he's looking kind of good these days. And wait a second, he is kissing that girl that I asked out that rejected me. Now, didn't she say something about having a date or having something else to do? Was this Arnie the whole time? And so the whole time, while well, me and my friends were basically trying to hook up with this chick, Arnie subtly somehow scenes we never see manages to woo this woman 
And this is all going on in his mind while he's doing something footballish with a 40 yard pass. I, I take it. I don't know. I, th- I, I really couldn't. Uh, I don't know. He's wearing football gear and there was a forward pass. I don't know. Uh, forward pass. Okay. Some sort of pass. There was but he's some, running. He's running. And he has the ball, which is bad. Yeah. And he gets tackled. He gets tackled so bad that he may never play football again. It is a severe neck injury. He's broken his leg or torn his knee or something of that effect. And he, by the way, he had already suffered an injury before uh, in the previous school year. So after the break of summer and he came back, he got cleared to play football again. But now he is never going to play football again, they say. And so he is now watching as Arnie has found his identity while Dennis has simultaneously lost his identity. I'm the football star. I play football. I'm the cool person. I get the girl. Wait a second. Arnie is now car guy who's the cool guy who gets the girl. What happened here? Yeah, and I'm I'm Hopalong Cassidy exactly. here and tied up in the hospital for God knows how long and watching and at the at the core of all that, he's also watching his best friend since childhood just circle the drain. Yeah. Because he's losing friends. He's got enemies because these bullies are still, they hate him even more now. Mm-hmm. Nothing will infuriate a bully more than you having the last laugh. And Arnie's getting that. His parents are at their wits end with him. Uh, not really because he's done anything bad because they are just a lot, like they're very strict. They're not supportive at all, at all, mm-hmm. at all. I think that if they would have... Uh, you know, taking a page out of a better parenting book yeah. and not being so strict. It might have it, helped. It just seems the fact that Arnie has a job now and Arnie has a car and he's really interested in the car and now he's dating and he's just not at home playing Scrabble with us and we don't like that. Yeah. And he's hardly hanging out with Dennis either. Yeah. And, and that's a very uh, a fascinating change because now the mother is looking to Dennis like a person who, who she was even blaming for the fact that Arnie even got this car. Oh, that's your influence. Oh, yeah, I bet you really tried to talk him out of it. Get the hell out of my house. To now she's yelling at Arnie, you had plans with Dennis. You have to keep your promises. And she pleads with Dennis. What's wrong with him? What's going on? And, 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 and you can tell that she's at her wit's end because now she's turning to the person who she maybe realizes now wasn't a bad influence at all. This is, uh, this is kind of what can happen. When, you know, Dennis had all of this, right? Dennis had the popularity and he had the looks and he had the girls and and he had everything. At his core, he was a sweet dude that was still looking out for his friend. Arnie, who didn't have any of those things, who wanted those things, wanted to be like Dennis, now has gotten all of those things and he's a son of a bitch. Like, he is... And and, and there's lots of uh, um, character studies... Uh, in comics and, and literature and film where sometimes the, the, the downtrodden, the dorky little nerds, what they secretly want is to have everything so they can be a fucking piece of shit. World domination. Yeah. World domination and shit like that. That's and what I want. now, and also it, it can't, it, it might be said that if Arnie did get any of these things without the, let's say demonic influence of an evil car, uh, maybe he would be a good guy. But the point is, is he has gotten all of this stuff since meeting Christine, a car that is now, Beautiful. It looks like it just went off the lot. I'd like to think that his, albeit strict, but very good upbringing, his smarts, his being able to have a social life despite his, you know, drawbacks of being a spaz. I love the word that you use, spaz, because that's exactly what he is. Yeah. Um, 
despite all of those negatives, he did have so many positives. And I think that the vision of Arnie when the white shirt just fixing up Christine about three weeks in when she's not quite entirely running yet, but and still kind of a hunk of shit and not quite polished up and perfect yet. I think that's about the, the spot he would have stayed at if he would have achieved these things without the demonic influence of this succubus psycho bitch that is his car. I can tell you one person who, through her powers of deduction, which I really like. So for all the things you could say about Lee, she she is bright. She's intuitive, and that's what women are supposed to be, right? Yeah. Um, it is really, between this and Carrie, I can really see a lot of this duality now that you've pointed it out. And mm-hmm. it's part of why I, I like these two films together. And they do have a really similar feeling of high school, and it's boys and girls. like Girls club and boys club. Yeah. But... The fact that you had pointed out, no one seems to fucking notice that Carrie has a psychic ability, but right away, Lee notices that Christine is fucking possessed. Yeah, she she said, listen, there are things about this car that cannot be explained away. We went to the movies. I choked miraculously on popcorn. Uh, the, radio, the radio turns on. Lights turn on. Doors the car, lock. The doors lock. And someone else had to pull me out of the car and do a Heimlich maneuver to get me out of there. Does none of that seem strange to you? The car stalls when they're making out. It plays nothing but 50s music. Yeah. Which is kind of creepy. That is very creepy. You have other radio stations, but yeah. I wanted to see the scene where they start trying to change the radio station. It just rips it back to like like Q102. Today's 50 rock. The warm, safe radio. Warm, safe radio. You keep on knocking, but you can't come in. Yeah. The use of music in this film, despite the fact that we are also uh, uh, enjoying a, a Carpenter score. Uh, a Carpenter and Howard score, which yes. is nothing quite like that. You know, I I, I like Carpenter's music. I do. Um, I like what he's doing now with his, what, Lost soundtrack? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. That. All the re-releasing, that he's doing all the new music he's doing. I'm really digging that. But there's nothing like Howarth and Carpenter together on a score. Nothing quite like it. I don't know if this was played. I had gone to a, a, a room morgue horror at a fan expo. It was there, um, not Dark Carnival, but it was uh, the Festival, of, Festival Fear. of Fear. To the Shocktail party afterward. And they had had Dan Howarth playing selections from like Halloween and Escape from New York and stuff. And I don't know if they played any Christine because this is one of the really undersung soundtracks. And mm-hmm. as far as a score... It's fucking terrifying. And that's part of what scared me as a kid. And it's part of what still speaks me t- to me today. It's got this driving synth soundtrack that I'm saying in scare quotes because that's what everyone's goal is right now with all the throwback stuff, right? But this one accomplishes it just like all the greats do and all the other John Carpenter and Dan Howarth greats do. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And and I think that um, especially in moments in which Christine will start to kill, there's this throbbing uh, uh, urgency to a lot of the soundtrack that can really make you uh, feel the tension. So I think trying to uh, get every amount of fear out of a script that John Carpenter had said, well, it seems a little light and less cinematic than I would like for something very scary. So he, you know, put his horror maestro touches all throughout the script to really sort of goose it up in certain areas. The whole first half of this movie is kind of uh, a bit more about building relationships and character studies about, and the slow corruption of Arnie from Christine. Cuntingham. 
Cuntingham. From whence comes Sean Cuntingham. Yes. Now, no, Arnie Cunningham, he does have, people call him Cunningham all the time. That's definitely. It's stuck in my head very, very much. Yeah. Now, these bullies that saw the card, they're going to get their revenge on Arnie the only way bullies can. Not through an elaborate pig's blood scheme, but in just, I'm just going to smash a car scheme. Yeah. Very similar, though, in its essence. Very similar in its essence, although not so elaborate in execution, but it does get the job done. And even though Lee, after her conflict with Arnie and about you're always choosing the car over me, and even though he says that's ridiculous, clearly he is very obsessed with the vehicle. Um, she's teetering and she wants him to get rid of the car, but she's still like, he says, I just got to go get my wallet out of Christine. We'll just They're just going to walk in the shop. He's going to get his wallet. That's all they're doing. But she's not like saying, I'm going to wait outside. She's not that afraid of the car yet. Yeah. But her heart is as torn out as his is. And his reaction is palpable. It is a, a pretty damn good performance. Yeah. It's no different than seeing your child's body mangled on a railroad track. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he's going through. It is what he's he's going through. And there's this overwhelming sense with Arnie that is the most frustrating that this builds to a crescendo in this scene. And that is Dennis wants him to get rid of the car. His parents want him to get rid of his car. His girlfriend, Lee, wants to get, him, get rid of the car. No one seems to like his car. What... What is wrong with the car? I found, I bought a car for 250 bucks. I put it together. It's really beautiful now and I can drive people around and, and, and I'm feeling better about myself and it's a good car. And for seemingly no reason. And to be fair, most characters don't really have a reason not to like the car. It's true. And I think that it's just because he keeps calling it Christine. It might just be that because if someone kept calling their car by a name, I would find that very strange. Um, but, but this is an explosion of frustration. This is what you all wanted. That's what he, and, and, you know, blames his parents because if they had just let him keep the car in the, in the driveway, like a normal person, then this he wouldn't have happened. No, he, he wouldn't and have happened. They say that that's not very fair. And he fucking explodes. And I don't blame him right yeah. here. You can do nothing but agree with Arnie because. You know, he's being slighted by these horrible bullies. They went way too far. They pooped in his car, Wes. They took a shit on the dash. Yeah. Defecated. Who's that Who's that comfortable with taking a dump in public that you're going to take a shit with, like, three of your friends watching you? Probably cackling, like, yeah, look at his asshole. Doing the thing it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just that like is my dog. Yeah, yeah. I was like, and by the way, did you wipe? What happened? You just like fucking take a big dump on a dashboard and then you just pull your jeans up and it's like, well, anyway, let's go grab a beer, guys. It's like, you got that dirty asshole now. Well, Bully Wolverine and his pals are <laughs> just about at that level, Wes. Uh, he does look a lot like if Wolverine was a fucking high school bully. That's Buddy. Buddy. Yeah. Buddy what a fucking bully. great name. Yeah, Buddy. <laughs> buddy and Moochie, whatever the fuck. M- Moochie, I, yeah. I don't even know the, guys, the other guy's hair is, but the other guy's name is, yeah. but his hair. He's like a walking friggin' cone of cotton candy. Yeah. It's crazy. The hair situation in this film is out of control. The fourth one's sort of not really into it. He's very tall, lanky, redhead man. I think he's from uh, Friday the 13th Part 2. Mm-hmm. I think he's like the goofy guy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that that doesn't sense. die. That doesn't die in that movie. But anyways, I digress. Um, no, the, the, the car's fucked. 
probably beyond repair. He keeps saying that he's going to fix up Christine. It looks beyond repair. I mean, just the extent of damage. Now, if it wasn't going to be beyond repair, it's basically going to be an entirely new car when he's done because every yeah. single inch of that car has been damaged. The, the seats have been slashed. The, the hood's been ripped off. The radio has been smashed. The tires have been slashed. Uh, it, it Bits is, of the engine have just been... They've smashed it with four sledgehammers for hours, it seems. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty much totaled. Yeah. But, I mean, how would you go about fixing this car? Demon magic? Demon magic. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Christina's going to demonstrate how hardy of a vehicle she is. Or how much she loves him. Yeah. Let me ask you this. If you were Arnie in this situation, would you not be more angry than impressed? Because you said, Jesus Christ, lady, I've been put building you back together for weeks and you could have just done this yourself. Well, she was in sweatpants land. She was in sweatpants land, but then she got all gussied up and then she said, fine, I will show me. And he says that, show me. A very sexy scene in which uh, all shot in reverse, the camera was upside down. That's how they did it to get the best uh, transfer quality possible. And it was all sucked in with hydraulics and then they just film it. Like they just play it in reverse and it looks like the car repairs itself virtually from being totaled to rolling off the lot again. Yeah. You know, gleaming. This, yeah. You know, the speedometer has been rolling back this whole time too. Yeah, which is crazy. And yeah. even when his friend notices it and it's one of those things he doesn't really mention, but you see that he sees that confusion on his face and he's like, what the fuck? How can a car have like now 60 some? Yeah. thousand or 60. Yeah. 60 some thousand miles on it instead of 90 some. And it just keeps rolling back. She's getting younger and younger and prettier and happier and more in love with Arnie, I suppose. I guess that's how it works. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's an awesome scene. Yeah. And it is disconcerting. It's sexy. It's creepy. It's filmed extremely well. If they would have just flubbed this or rushed this, it wouldn't have had that same sort of impact. And I'm fascinated that this might have never even happened. The scene... The scenes plural because there's other scenes where she they show her remaking herself. Mm -hmm. Probably all taken from that one magical day with the hydraulic kits. Um, that it might have not even happened. We, yeah. What would they have done? Just blinked or poof, and she's fixed again. Originally, how this uh, scene was supposed to go down was that it was supposed to be off camera. You weren't going to see it. And Arnie shows up the next day to the garage and the car is miraculously back in one piece. And I suppose he would intuit from that that the car was able to repair itself. After the film had already been put in the can, John Carpenter was taking a look at it and said, no, we need there needs to be something. We need to have way more of a payoff. We need to show that this car is supernatural. I'm so glad that he did. Yeah. It's it's a zero-hour decision that created a really iconic moment in cinema history. Christine putting herself back together. Which is even more fascinating and, and jarring and just what you watch the film for other than when she's all on fire and stuff, which is another wonderful scene. Almost as wonderful as Carrie herself walking out of her prom that's on fire. Mm. Beautiful, iconic scenes. But this you know, kind of slow, insidious rebuilding of herself is 
10 times more jarring and sticks with Mm -hmm. you even more. Oh, even just the moment where he says, show me, and the camera pans behind him, and now we're in a wide shot, and then the just both headlights turn on. It's the both headlights turning on, too, because there's usually this sort of, like, uh, audio sting that goes along with that, too, and they're um, quite, like, I I guess you would say as a trademark carpenter technique Mm -hmm. to have this sort of, like, audio sting with the bright lights or the shadow overtaking light, one of the two. Uh, and it happens whenever her light headlights turn on and it gives you such majesty for those moments. But yeah, the, this particular it was the first time that her headlights turn on by herself mm-hmm. and it's, it's magical. I'm just gushing now, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, you are gushing, but we're all gushing. He's definitely gushing. And this is now... A dark romance for the ages. He has Lee is out of the picture. He's screamed at her on the phone. It's all over. And now it's time to get his revenge. How often do you think Arnie's driving the car when this revenge comes? I genuinely do not believe Arnie is driving the car until the final scene. Okay, good. Same here. That's what it's positioned as, too. But you could also be the asshole that's like no he's lying about all that he wasn't out in the caddy picking up parts he wasn't here he wasn't there he was in that car killing these people so you you got you there's a fun duality to play with if you're like okay demons don't exist like possessed cars don't exist what we just saw was a fever dream the car doesn't remake itself he remakes it this is all like a machinist Mm -hmm. kind of thing going on and he's killing them it could definitely be that, but I've always interpreted it more as as um, Arnie himself is a, a very submissive, quiet, beta-type guy. Uh, I'm loathe to use that term, but here we are. Mm-hmm. And I loathe to use the term toxic masculinity, but that's also what he is uh, subject to. Exactly. Um, now, he has begun a relationship with a very strong domineering woman. And I definitely have this idea of her attitude is like, Oh no, you just go to sleep, baby. It's like, it's like, and and I'm just going to make all of his problems go away because I love him. And this is what you do for love. You kill for love. And she likes to kill anyway, because she fucking kills people like her. She's been killing since the day she was born, like you point out. But like, and you were wondering like, how many people has she killed? I just like to think hundreds because she's a horrible, vile bitch. But we know that she's got a body count of like at least four at Uh, this point. Yeah, yeah. And soon to be more a Moochie. Five, actually. Yeah. Yeah, Moochie's the first to go. And this is where it starts to remind you a little bit of the crow. <laughs> a little bit of the crow, yeah. yeah. Now, when it, when uh, Muji basically gets straight up bisected in a really cool scene in which the car, like you said, like you're trying to avoid this vehicle. But if this vehicle is absolutely determined to kill you and it, it is, has no sense of self-preservation because she can regenerate almost from anything. Yeah, this is he runs around like she's chasing him and he runs down an alleyway and he even pulls a knife eventually because he thinks that... Arnie is driving it. So mm-hmm. he's just like, got you now, because he thinks he's going to attack the driver. There's no driver. And the car is determined enough that it will destroy its side panels, squeezing itself in while, with tires screeching to smoosh itself into this little alleyway to crush him. Yeah. They had to scrape his legs up with a shovel, Wes. Isn't that what you do with shit? 
<laughs> Scrape it up. Uh, Arnie himself, when he's confronted by this uh, detective, Junkard? Junkard. <laughs> great name. If anything, Stephen King's really good at naming names. I'd have to look in the book to see if that one is true, but he is my hero as far as naming characters. Mm-hmm. Picking names, he's brilliant. Or Junkins. Junkins. Okay, Junkins. Yeah, I wrote down Jenkins. <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton from Alien fame. Or what? Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. And yeah. lots of other stuff. And lots of other stuff. Again, th- this, this film is just riddled with very strong character actors. Yeah, and he takes a cake. Of course, he's smoking cigarettes, and uh, he's not foul-mouthed in this or anything like that. Quite Everyone else is. But he plays a perfect... Like, you, you just get one look at him, realize he's a detective. You're like, okay, he's been on the force 30 years. His dad was a cop. He's divorced, probably a drunk, or an AA. Smokes like a chimney. Has the occasional donut, doesn't eat actual food. Yeah, and, just like cigarettes and coffee yeah. and like the occasional like falafel or some shit like that. Greasy, drippy falafel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. greasy, drippy falafel. Or a sub with extra vinegar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Cop yeah. food. Cop food, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they do it in a glance with this. Terry mm. Stanton's perfect, perfect cast for this. Um, he's right away suspicious. Mm-hmm. Arnie is already lying about the condition of the carb, and it doesn't seem to be because, oh, I was out murdering yesterday. It more seems to be because what's the real explanation? The real explanation is that this car put itself fucking together, and he's going to sound nuts. Yeah. He doesn't really know what is going on, and when he's told, he he seems aloof, but also not remorseful. He doesn't care. Um, And, and this is the darkness that uh, Christine has fostered. Partially, although... There is, it rings true. He was bullied mercilessly. He was threatened with weapons at school for no fucking reason. We know it's for no reason because he was meek as a church mouse. He, there was nothing he did to bring on this this horrible wrath of Buddy and his cronies. So I don't blame him for being a little bit aloof about it. Mm-hmm. And also being a little insulting about it. Referring to dead people as shit. I mean, sometimes people are shit. You can't speak ill of the dead, but sometimes you fucking can. As I've always uh, pointed out to people, I was like, people were wrong when they're alive. They they don't become right because they're dead now. It's very true. He doesn't do or say anything truly untoward. Yeah. No, you're right about that. Now, the the cop seems to suspect someone just died. Someone who was responsible for killing this, uh, for wrecking this car and uh, Arnie d- didn't seem to take any photos, didn't seem to contact the police, didn't really seem to do anything that normal people would do if their vehicle had been vandalized by people and they could prove that they did it. Um, and, you know, he's been talking to his parents and talking to his girlfriend, talking to a lot of people that uh, know Arnie. And uh, they all seem to say that the car was totaled. Yeah, I absolutely told that someone defecated in the vehicle Mm -hmm. uh they know the extent of the injuries to the car and yes i'm anthropomorphizing the car by referring to it as injuries but we've been calling her christine and she the entire episode i know and i it it just it grates on me don't name your fucking cars but um either way he's sort of like behaving like this battered woman syndrome where you're protecting the person and it's just typically a battered woman that's why i would say that uh but they're protecting their abuser 
And that's sort of what's going on here with him. He might only be emotionally and mentally abused by Christine, especially as he's running around killing people, uh, which he's suspecting as well. Um, the next person that she kills, he even asks her why. Yeah, that's a night of killing, though. That's a, that's like because all those bullies get rocked. Yeah, but it's a, it's the next one that he's privy to, that's that he true. sees, that he has proof of. Yeah. Yeah. And he that's asks her why. That's his old boss. Someone who who genuinely, yeah, he started out ornery and and was giving him the runaround, but also gave him a job and and gave him the means to fix Christine in the first place. And would have probably helped to protect him further from instances like this. So his car had been totaled. The guy who totaled, well, one of the guys that totaled the car or suspected to have totaled the car is now dead. The boss is a little more protective because like this was his place of business that was broken into. Mm-hmm. Arnie's been nothing but good to him and he's a great worker. He even gives them his car. So they're definitely getting closer. There's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. the boss. The boss doesn't hate Christine. Yeah. yeah. He, he jokes about her sometimes, but he sees all the work that Arnie's put into her and respects her as a sexy vehicle. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's a, he runs a, a big garage, right? So he's definitely a gearhead in the traditional sense and seeing like an old, an old, uh, what was it? A, a Plymouth Fury like that from the fifties being restored almost fully like, or fully basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a good feeling. Christine rolls into that garage cindering. She looks like she has just come back from a trip through hell. Oh, yeah. And the only people that have gone through hell are fucking Buddy. Buddy who gets run the fuck down. This scene, it's... Okay, so you know when sometimes scenes remind you of one thing, even though it's not really the same thing at all? This scene really reminds me of a scene in Critters, too, where Critter... I'm making a face. You made a a face... Bear with me. Yes, yeah. This scene reminds me of a scene from Critters 2 in so much as when the Critters all form together to make one big Critter ball and they roll over that one guy and he's just a skeleton, like that farmer. Um, This, like Christine on fire running over Buddy and it's such a quick... Yeah, she's like, like runs him over, runs him over and, then, and, then, an and then his whole body is just ablaze. This re- scene reminds me more of Maximum Overdrive when they're trying oh. to blow up the Joker car or um, the scene, like in Carrie, where she's Carrie. There's a, the whole prom, the whole gymnasium is burning down around her. No, Critters 2. Critters 2, that's what you get. Okay, <laughs> so Christine is hunting the bullies. She um, chases them all to a gas station where the tall, lanky bullies happens to work. So there's only three bullies left out of four now. She's already killed Cheez-It or whatever. Cheez-It. It's Moochie. Oh, Moochie. And so she is ravaging a place of business in the way that only cars know how is to just drive on through the place as many yeah. times as you possibly can. She destroys his car, which is like a, a Mustang, I suppose, of some sort. And she's like battering his car and then starts chasing him and runs over the gas pumps or like squishes his car into the gas station Mm -hmm. and ruptures the gas tank so gas spilling all over the place she's ruptured enough things inside this gas station that it is about to blow yeah it blows up with two of the bullies in it so that's bonus two bonus bullies yeah um leaving buddy outside aghast Mm. staring wildly terrified he thinks that arnie's driving the car of course they all through all of this think arnie's driving the car Mm mm-hmm 
They really do. And uh, there's there's a technique uh, done in the film in which there's uh, the, the stunt drivers. They had uh, black blinders on all the uh, mirrors so you can't see into the car whatsoever. Which is wonderful. And it makes it even more demonic because you can't see in. You're looking. You're just inherently looking for the driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to I guess it's the making eye contact with drivers as a pedestrian sort of thing, yeah. and you want to prove to yourself is Arnie driving this car, but it's blocked out, which makes it look even more evil and draws more attention to that cherry red paint job. Now, Bully Buddy goes running, which is another one of my favorite sort of scenes where Christine is barreling down on somebody, with the added bonus of her being on fire. Yeah, so she's the flame and fury at this point. Barreling down the road after this running scared bully, which I guess is every battered nerd's dream. It would have to be. I think that Christine is just enacting these things that Arnie wanted to do himself, but always felt powerless to accomplish. While this is going on, um, Dennis has been in the hospital this entire time, basically since his injury. Reading a fucking book of limericks. That's all that he has to do because it is... The 70s, and there's no iPad, no phone, no, no cable TV. Nothing. Jesus. What do you do in a hospital for months? While away. While away. while away. Yeah. Well, at least he's not dead or paralyzed, which is what could have happened. Mm-hmm. Now, he's back, and he needs to get some information. Now, Lee also is going to try to warn uh, Dennis. I'm going to call him at home. I like this scene a lot when they're just like playing like fucking the game of life or whatever the fuck he's playing with his goony sister that we've not seen prior. It's just like, and now we're going to have Dennis uh, playing board games with his sister. You don't get any lines. So she didn't get her sag for that. But um, it, now these guys are going to team up, join forces because they got to figure out what's going on with Arnie. Lee still really uh, cares about him, loves him, even though that he's gone off the fucking deep end. And all of a sudden these people are dying up to and including uh, Arnie's boss, which we were talking about previously. What I like about that scene is that Christine can kill you all kinds of ways. Yes, she can. And we would assume that she would just like to fill her cab with carbon monoxide because that's how she likes to kill people previously. Mm. On Christine, the untold story, the origin story of Christine, where she killed her owner and his wife and his kid and all that by doing that same trick. Um, that's what we sort of think that's going to happen here when the doors lock. Yeah, no, instead the, the seat's just going to pull, pull yeah. up. And I didn't think a seat could pull up that much, but maybe. I don't know those bench seats. Bench well, seats are weird to and me. And he kind of had a bit of girth to him. Like, he had a bit of a gut, so. Probably, probably a weak heart. Probably a weak heart, yeah, because he dies really fucking fast. He like, does. Yeah. It also helps with our time. Because we've been clicking along. He's at probably 80, 89 on the phonsometer. We don't have much to go here. Arnie's about to hit peak cool. Yeah, yeah. And he's really, uh, and the peak cool, as cool as can possibly be, gaunt, sunken eyes, deathly pale. And I'm smiling. And you're I'm smiling. Like, this is where he looks the best. Yeah, yeah, where he looks yeah. the most fucking uh, just entranced by the car. And his he- eyes are like saucers. He can hardly speak without speaking of Christine. He's mm-hmm. like absolutely transfixed. Mm-hmm. Dennis has gotten him as much information. We learn uh, the origin story, somewhat the origin story, when he goes back to the old man mm-hmm. and asks him about what had happened and. 
try to get rid of the car. Three weeks later, it shows up. The guy's daughter dies in it. Wouldn't get rid of it. The guy's wife died in it. He They got rid of it, but it came back. And He just it, leaves it hanging like that. Like, what do you mean the car came, came back? And he just looks at him. Looks at or him like, like, car can drive itself, man. That's basically what he's saying. Yeah, basically. Um, at this point, when, when Arnie's even presented with his boss's death, the car has rebuilt itself. We got to see it again being absolutely demolished with fire this time mm-hmm. that, you know, she's back to being her pristine self. I'd say her powers are escalating. Yeah, she definitely, as as she kills and, and as uh, she supposedly gets young, that speedometer goes back, that car is becoming... Uh, more assertive it is it is you know it doesn't mind laying in weights and uh you know letting arnie do what he wants to do but the car is definitely giving the clear message it's just me arnie it's just me and no one else and and that's it no friends no family no girlfriends and the added benefit is i will make the bad people go away and if there's people that you love I'll make them go away too. So you have to choose me. That's so crazy. Yeah. 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 There are many relationships and I'm not just going to keep ragging on psycho bitches with quote unquote, but any toxic human being in your life will eventually behave like this. Drive away people who care about you, drive away everybody Mm -hmm. and be a possessive, um, maleficent, horrible person in your life and be the only person in your life poisonous horrible stuff the last the last real conversation that dennis has in a vehicle while they're like chugging beers with arnie in the car arnie drinking car been drinking beer in a car and swearing hating his parents being against everything his girlfriend even uh, and driving like 100 miles an hour yeah. on the wrong side of a road playing chicken with other vehicles yeah and uh, and you know him just he this is his the peak of his madness uh, at this point it, it's so it, he is uh, sermonizing to Dennis about love and what you can do because of it when you believe in someone and they believe in you right back and nothing can stop you and he's talking about Christine I love this sequence so much it's it's a it's a it's a beautiful. Uh, glimpse of just pure obsessive madness yeah and uh and um just i just love this idea of christine and arnie just bringing out the worst in each other the absolute hellish worst and it comes to a point in which dennis realizes that and lee realizes we need to get rid of this car yeah christine's not gonna like that one one bit i feel that Christine would kill both Dennis and Lee for almost no reason at this point. But since they're going to the garage to fucking take the car out, uh, yeah, it's going to go bad. But they got a caterpillar on their side. They do. So I had written in my notes, Killdozer versus Christine. And I only wish that the caterpillar, which is what <laughs> we were calling it, had a better turning radius or was a little faster because then it would have been a little more fiery of a fight. But it is still pretty pretty good and pretty heart-wrenching because Christine puts up a hell of a fight and chases down Lee, like the bait that she is in this scene. 
like she's supposed to and is an angry car and she personifies an angry car. We get to see those amazing headlights and the driving synth score and a lot of smoke and engines revving and stuff like that. And luckily Lee gets pinned between the wall and the bucket of the caterpillar. So Christine can't quite get at her because you can't really like you would smash a car into this huge piece of machinery over and over and it's not going to budge it. But Christine doesn't know that. She just is so determined and so hate-filled at this point that she's smashing her front end into the the wall over and over. Like quite like the personification of banging your head against the wall. That's what Christine is doing until she's knocked herself nearly dizzy Mm. and goes toiling off through the rest of the garage just being a limping around sorry sad sack of a car. Yeah, but she's got those teeth out. She's got the angry headlights. Which I love. And now she is scarier to me than Jaws because she is like a shark. Like you had said that Carpenter, that was his goal, trying to to make the car look more monstrous. And like a shark, that's really achieved because it doesn't pull it off in a a cartoonish way. Mm -hmm. Um, After seeing it a couple times, you, you do look for it and you're like, oh, this is where the car has big monster teeth. But I could see the first time watching it, you might not notice that. And you just subconsciously notice this. Like the way that the headlights are lowered and angry like a bull with its horns out and the full front end is being just smashed because she smashed herself into the caterpillar and the mm-hmm. brick wall over and over and it's just torn itself into these ragged teeth it's it's wonderful it's wonderful it really is but guess what arnie is behind the wheel yeah, we do finally get a shot of inside with that wonderful red light from the dash. And some- oh, the, it's a, the green, the green light. Oh, it's a green light? Yeah, isn't it? Spook lights. Spook lights. But he looks even more sallow, even more transfixed. His eyes are like saucers. He, His eyes are down. His teeth are showing, personified yeah. with the same monstrous look of the car. But he is just... Uh, in, in kill mode. And I, I don't even think he really knows where he is. I don't think he does entirely either, but he could. He could. He could. You never know. Now, Christine is going to... Listen, Christine has a lot of advantages. She's big. She's heavy. She's oh. fast. Oh, like cars back then were nothing but metal, man. Yeah. Uh, maneuverable. And best of all, she can regenerate. I like this regeneration scene in a way because we know what's going on. We can hear the metal clicking and popping in the background, and we and she's sort of in shadow, and then she revs up again. For she revs two. up, but the problem is, Arnie is not as indestructible as the car he is sitting inside. Not for long. No, he is going to get fucking thrown from that bitch, and he is going to get impaled by it looks like windshield glass. Yeah, well, he gets thrown into, like, the office and through a glass window. So it could oh, so be maybe all kinds of glass. It could be all kinds of glass. That's right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. He gets, like, right right in the heart. Like a huge dagger in the heart. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Like we said, you know, hurt the ones you love. Yeah. I don't know whose mistake that was, Christine's or his, but I think it was them together. Kind of went supernova at that moment. Yeah. And Christine, let me ask you this, because I, I, I genuinely don't, I can't really put my finger on it. And I'd love your, your input. Do you think that 
we know that Christine is a bit of a discerning car. I mean, it's not like the first person that sits at me, I'm I'm okay with. Because yeah, people she's, weren't driving by. She wasn't honking. Going yeah, like, yeah. Hey, 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 guys. There was something about Arnie that the car seemed to to fixate on him, probably because of the, all the work that he put into her and, and et cetera. Now, do you think she actually is upset or cares about Arnie in the way that he, he thinks that she does? Or is one person just as good as another as far as this vehicle is concerned? I think it's hilarious that we're still talking about this car like a person, but we can't help it, can we? Um, <laughs> yes and no. She does care in a very twisted way because I think it's only his weakness that she is attracted. Too. I think I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think that you know she is upset after this vehicle, this car, lids is upset after Arnie has died because of well, that wasn't supposed to happen. But I think give her ten minutes and she would just go park herself somewhere else and wait for someone else to be like, hey, hey it's a '57 Fury. Yeah, check it out. I wonder how much they want for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just wait and lie in and wait now. You know, Dennis is piloting the Caterpillar and Lee is still uh, running for her life. But the Caterpillar is is a very heavy piece of machinery and it's basically just going to crush that fucking car. Yep. I find the the fact that the uh, the speedometer has now rolled so far back that it's almost going right back to 99999. Uh, very cool. Which might be the closest we get to a 666. In many Stephen King adaptations of films... There is a 13 or 666 somewhere. It's a, the, the call letter is on a radio station. It is in a license plate. It is on a card. It is a phone number to a place. It's the numbers on the side of a transport truck. Like it's somewhere always in every single one. And this one, maybe that's the closest we get. Maybe there's another shot where there's 13s, like two 13s, usually 1313 mm. 13 and 666. I don't know why or who exactly does that or if Stephen King himself comes down from on high and says, oh, the film's perfect. What you need to do is add this and I will give you my blessing. I don't know how that works, but um, maybe that rolling over almost to 999 is the 666 I was looking for. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I like she that- tries to regenerate even while this thing's rolling over her. Yeah, and, and they almost think that they, they're done, but once they realize that Jesus, like this thing can regenerate from being almost a complete pancake, they continue it. It's not until the engine is crushed, but it seems as though the final nail in the coffin is like when the radio is bashed because <laughs> yeah. it's still going. But once the radio is smashed, the headlights go dim and you think that it's done. Then we do a quick cut and it's just a cube. A cube, which is great in a way. When I had my car crashed into a cube, when I moved here to Ottawa, um, I brought it in to give my money. I bid it adieu. I didn't care about the car the way that Arnie cares about Christine. So I was just sort of like, thanks. And I go to walk out and the guys are like, hey, wait, did you want to watch it? And I was like, watch it. And they're like, yeah. And one of them's kind of ribbing the other, like, don't ask her that. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Why do people normally stick around and watch their car get crushed? And one, not the guy that had asked me, but the other guy at the car place had said, no, he just likes to ask women because a lot of times they cry. And I was like, wow, really? And he's like, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> they do. And that's why he had asked. And I was like, no, I'm good. But now I want, I, I wish I could have because then I could have like listened to the radio. Oh, yeah. I was like, just turn the radio on and, and, and see if it'll go. Now, the, 
Junkins is standing there while they're crushing the car. Does he know that the car was evil now? I guess they explained it to him. Because he's like, you guys are heroes now. You guys, he's like, well, real hero would have saved Arnie. He's like, yeah, could have done better with that one. Like, I was like, that's, a re- that's really fucking, fucking funny to me. It's just, I just find it funny that he is there. I don't know if they think that, if he just thought that Arnie was a homicidal maniac and killing people with the car and then they just crushed the car. Or if he thinks, oh, no, yeah, this car was possessed and good thing we've crushed it. They must have explained it to sort of preserve some of the dignity of Arnie's in death. Maybe. That's the only reason I would be telling the police about the possessed car. Well, guess what? Hmm. Christine may be crushed into a cube, but there's still something that lurks deep within that evil car. One of those little tiny Christmas trees that smell kind of like pine? Kind of. Because we see a, little, a, a last little indication to let you know that car is still, it may take her another 20 years, but she will uncube herself. Yeah. Hence... Christine, too. Which is crazy. But yeah. Uh, fully enjoyable. Still, it doesn't like scare me. I'll still be able to walk home tonight. Like, I'm not leaving the house, but whatever. It's like we are um, in your own. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it still does do the things like portions of the movie Halloween, portions of Black Christmas, portions of the great slasher films do for me is have moments that are very tense and scary. I love it. And it's really good for people who are not so into horror and like Stephen King. A lot of the people who read Stephen King who want to like are maybe into all the newer Stephen King stuff that's coming out on TV and Netflix and stuff. If they want to like get into some Stephen King grades, hit Christine, Cujo, Carrie, some of the movies that we've been watching because they're not horror fans, horror movies necessarily they do spend a lot of time on character development the way that his books do they spend a lot of time in you know man versus himself man versus man that sort of like genre before it goes into full-on supernatural cars crushing people i agree i think that christine for me occupies a space as just a fucking good idea it was just a cool idea sitting around saying what if a car what if a car killed people and it was just the car? What if it was just an evil car? And it seems so dumb when you say things like that, but like the wraith. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It does sound kind of dumb when you say it like that. Yeah. Yeah. When you when when you boil down story ideas um, after you watch like a whole ex- cinema a, a cinematic experience. You know, it could just be like, oh, that is kind of like a weird idea. But it started there. It started with Stephen King just sort of staring up at the ceiling, probably being like, "Eh, what if a car killed people? It's way better than Killdozer. I'm so glad that he didn't say, what if a front end loader killed people? (laughs) (laughs) That or he went to a dinner party and saw these old friends of his and the relationship that it had become and left that dinner party thinking, those two are just about to supernova. They are feeding each other with such hatred. And like one of them is so trapped and downtrodden and just about to blow. And the other is so mani- manipulative and evil. And they were never like this before. And together they are just a sick, sick creature. And then he thought, what if one of them was a car? <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I think all of the subtext of this story, it working as... An example of a toxic relationship at working as an example 
of of um a very masculine view of bullying and and what what you think would make you happy ends up destroying you as opposed to embracing the type of person you are and not idolizing the worst parts of fucking humanity that you just don't fit into mm-hmm. um all these things and and uh it's it's just a really uh interesting character study and 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 I think it's a, it's a really really strong king film and I'm glad we did it. I'm glad this movie scared you years ago. Mm. And so we could finally on our Stephen King of Palooza 2 tackle Christine. But what do we got next for him? Next we have Pet Cemetery, which is super fun, super duper fun because um I don't know if it's a little known fact, maybe it's super transparent. The farmer in the Night Face film was uh fashioned off of Judd Crandall in this film in a way uh, there was two influences to that one was a newspaper article about a farmer that was crushed by his own machinery and wrote a will to his wife in his own blood on the bumper of the vehicle that had crushed him as he was dying and two was this performance of the old Crandall man in you know man's heart of Estonia Lewis all that stuff mm. just I love him as a farmer that lives in the New England countryside. It, 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 I'm very excited to tackle this because I do want to talk about uh, your character in Night Face because I remember when when the very first time I when I had finished Night Face and we had sat down for a beer and and you wanted I don't think you really wanted to know what I thought of the book but I think I think we were just going to discuss the book or something like that. I t- I did remember telling you that the entire time. Every time I was reading that character and that character was speaking, I was doing it in that voice. That was the voice. And even though there was nothing particularly about that character, like it's not like it's the same character no, at all. No, no, but no, if no. for some reason, it just oh, I did all my lines like this because I like to <laughs> I like to read out loud some character voices and shit like that. And while he I'm walks reading. like him and moves like him and talks to him, but it's just it and it's. I just had him in mind. I didn't like sculpt him on that person either. The farmer is really entirely his own creature, really. But um, I used to not be able to handle or care to hear what people thought about Night Face until recently. Ooh. I became a little more warmed up to that. I'm a little more used to it. Maybe it's just that debut novel thing problem Ooh. where people could discuss or I can discuss any of my other work, but... The debut novel is just like, eh. mm. I wonder if people like that about their firstborn kids. Anyway, um, it was featured on a podcast, one of my favorite uh, fiction, horror fiction podcasts. It's a book podcast called Books in the Freezer. And Rachel had, I'd mentioned it before that it was going to be airing around the time of our next episode. And now it's, she spoke about Night Face on that quite eloquently. And she's left a wonderful review. And I really like it having a reader's reader, someone who thinks critically when they're reading, who does already like the genre. Because that's the worst thing is somebody who doesn't like the genre critiquing a book or somebody who is just, it's horror, five stars. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of reaction, right? So I really appreciated their input on, on Night Face. So you can check out Books in the Freezer and listen to that in their Canadian uh, horror episode and Rachel has also talked about the book briefly although she says she will talk about it more in her YouTube show her booktube show which is the shades of orange on YouTube and I was also featured on Kendall reviews so there's been a lot of like 
night face stuff out of the woodwork. And I just mm. love that it still holds its own as a violent vampire novel and the way apparently people want vampires to be. Mm. I've always told you, uh, and, and I think I've mentioned on the, uh, the podcast before that I like my vampires dark. I, I have little to no interest in them being very romantic characters. Mm. I like vampires to, to be the, the creatures that they are. And I think that they are the most effective as these creatures like us in the same way that some people could like zombies because they're just like these shambling masses uh, that look like us but are just devoid of any humanity. They, they are representations of our mass consumption. Vampires to me are, have always been a representation of the, the, the animalistic uh, uh, predatory nature that we have tried to suppress with culture and society and and all of like these these uh these bits of artifice that we have hung on ourselves and called ourselves a sophisticated culture so when vampires can exude sophistication but at the same time tear that away and they become these just fucking ghouls that will tear your throat out uh and and give in to all base urges uh that's when vampires are the most effective mm -hmm. to me and and i think nightface has that in spades mm -hmm. thank you thank you <laughs> it's neat to be revisiting it even like mentally like that another interesting thing happened like this is the past week's been pretty exciting yeah. um not only did i get a credit for a script editor on the upcoming Cashtown film on Internet Movie Database, Ooh. I also transmogrified my Sin Seekers in Diablo. I've been level 70 for quite some time, <laughs> but I don't have a lot of time to devote to playing with the game. So with my new job and a little bit of downtime in the evenings, I'm allowed to devote a little more time to Diablo. And... I've just done, I'm just very proud of myself that now I don't drain my hatred when using rapid fire. <laughs> so it's been an exciting week that's very momentous i will say i'm glad that your new job and shorter uh not so killer commute um is able to afford you uh you do enjoy your hobbies though. i can even watch movies now Wes, and i'm reading a book it's crazy i have things i haven't done as much as i like to i still read of course i've read books and reviewed books over the past couple years with my old job, which I do sorely miss, actually. I, I love my job. Yeah. The commute and the time suck. Not so much. Yeah. It, was but, never about, it was never about what the job was, I always felt, with why you needed to change. No, you know? not at all. Not at all. Uh, but it's interesting being able to walk to work now for a short time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm reading Girl on the Train, which is as great as all of the reviews make it out to be. I need to watch the movie eventually. Now I'll even have time. One movie I did watch was Who's Watching Oliver, which they cover on a re recent episode of Bind Torture Cast. And when you had said that I've watched all kinds of like atrocities on film, that's another one that's full of just really wonderful gore and a really crazy, very, very dark story, much like, like Decay or My Friend Dahmer, things like that. Uh, but Chris had done a giveaway uh, for uh, free audiobook codes. For Pray Light Eve, because Pray Light Eve, of course, if you know, had been made into an audiobook. Now, Pray Light Eve 2 will be out probably by the time you're listening to this. Ooh. So, yeah, look forward to maybe more giveaway codes. I really enjoyed the, the speed at which the code went on Bind Torture Cast almost immediately in the day of the release of the show. Mm -hmm. One of the listeners had scooped that up. So, if you're listening and you're interested, 
uh, Prelight Eve 2 is out by now, just drop me a line. You can reach me at nightface.ca or Twitter or Instagram or Tumblr even. Um, I try and pay attention to all the DMs because I missed one from Thomas that I realized from July and it made me so sad. <gasps> he had a cr- really great question too and I just missed it because it was an Instagram inbox. Oh. Uh, so I gotta start paying closer fucking attention to that. But if anyone wants a code for Prelady 1 or Prelady 2, either or, just let me know. You can just Send me a quick note saying, give me a code, lady. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are definitely going to want to check out uh, Pray Light Eve, Pray Light Eve 2. And Princeless. And Princeless. Yeah. If you guys want to go and check out my comic book debut, issue five of Princeless Girls Rock Girls Leadership Anthology, um, I, got a, I got a story in that. Uh, you can go to Comicsology and uh, just uh, search for that. And then uh, you can get your fill of my bullshit. I love your bullshit. <laughs> have you had your fill? <laughs> I still haven't had my full of uh, bullshit. Or Stephen King. Or Stephen King, because we definitely have more Stephen King uh, movies to hit now and in the future. Yeah, because some of the ones we've been tossing around, oddly, are more Stephen King movies. Go figure. I'd recently watched... We've been, we were tossing around ideas for the show. So if anyone has requests, we have some requests coming up from my husband, Chris, the mm. host of Bind Torture Cast. We have some other movies. Uh, we're going to have a meeting and come up with our list of movies that we're going to be covering soon mm. enough. Yeah. But uh, we've been watching movies, but nothing's really been striking us. And I've yeah. been watching movies that are uh, either better fit for other shows, not quite horror at all, or a lot of, like, documentaries and stuff so they just don't really fit so feed us ideas yeah if you guys have have requests uh now's the time you can hit me up on twitter at wes dead air nipe or on instagram which i'm very active on so you can find me on instagram at dead air 83 mm-hmm. yeah you sure can <laughs> you can check out my stuff at nightface.ca <laughs> i'm wes nipe and i'm typical lydia and you've been listening to dead air 